Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Josh Thomas. Josh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm an MMA coach in the Sunshine State of Florida. Thanks for coming on. Um, I was on your show you. a few months back before the election. We uh, had an interesting conversation, to say the least. Um, finding out that we have uh, some shared passions with MMA and growing up wrestling. Uh, you coach MMA now, and I coach middle school wrestling, so at least we have a couple other things in common. Um, we also have podcasts, so I figured I'd have you on and kind of give you a chance to expand your uh, horizons a little bit. With, with I appreciate it, man. The uh, pleasure's all mine. So why don't we uh, start off with getting to know you a little bit more. Where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in a, uh, in a small little town in uh, southwest Virginia, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. And I had a job that took me all over the country, took me to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Salisbury, North Carolina, uh, and then inevitably down to Florida, where I already had some family, and uh, I just kind of just kind of stayed, never left. How long have you been down there? Uh, off and on, shit, probably like five years now. Um, I left for a little bit. My dad actually got sick, and I went back to Virginia to like take care of him. Uh, and then, so, yeah, I've been here probably about five years. Got it. <clears throat> What uh, what kind of job were you doing that had you traveling like that? Uh, I was a manager of a warehousing company. Uh, essentially, it was like a like a truck unloading service. And I was like the manager of that. Um, so like we would kind of go all over the place to like open new projects. Like when we got new warehouses and whatnot, like new contracts. Uh, so I kind of traveled. I didn't like uh, I didn't like just staying in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> so logistics was kind of the core of it. Yeah, essentially, yeah, that's, that's all it was. So you uh, you fought a few times in a cage, which is something that I definitely commend you for. If I had gotten into martial arts a little earlier in my life, I would, definitely would have tried that if the UFC was a big thing. But uh, I don't didn't have the opportunity. <laughs> so I definitely credit you. Uh, what is it Thank you. for people who, who haven't either competed in any type of you know, combative sport, whether it be wrestling or actually in a cage or anything like that. What is a typical fight day like for you when you fought? Uh, so fight day, um, I would wake up uh, kind of early and my wife and I would always do yoga like every morning that I had a fight because uh, I was like notorious in my gym for pulling muscles. <laughs> um, so I would always wake up, I'd do some yoga, and then I would just turn on some YouTube and watch some Robbie Lawler, some Justin Gaethje, something super violent uh, to just, like, get me in that mindset, man. Like, like outside of, like, the cage, like, I'm, like, the nicest guy ever. Um, and it's definitely, like, a switch for me. Like, I can cut it on and off. But I would just watch something super violent and just kind of, like, do a lot of manifesting and, like, thinking, um, like, thinking, like, how I wanted it to go down, thinking of what would go down eat something super light, like, uh, maybe like a pack of nuts, some fruit, uh, coconut water, just like something really light. And then get to the venue, you get your hands wrapped, you get dressed. 
Um, and then you just kind of wait, man. I, I hated watching fights before my fights. Um, I watched a teammate fight before me once and he had a fucking knockdown drag out war. And after that, I was so pumped up, but like, I was so nervous for him. Like I was more nervous for him than I was myself. Um, so I just didn't like, I, I don't like watching fights before my fight. So I would just sit in the back, like headphones on, like I would listen to Phil Collins, honestly, like Genesis <laughs> or Phil Collins. Uh, and in the air tonight would be like playing on my headphones as I'm like walking to the cage. It's a good uh, and I think song. I had like, Oh no, no, I had like DMX or like, uh, I had Hank Williams jr. as like my walkout song, but I'd be listening to like Phil Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> like I don't just get in the vibe, man. That's one thing that I would kind of think about every so often that if I ever walked into the cage, what song would it use? Because I would need something very loud, obnoxious and aggressive something along the lines of like Pantera or something along those lines. But, uh, I could I definitely kill see him my in the s- name of one time. <laughs> nice. That was the best. I could see myself walking out to Phil Collins though in the air tonight. That's just got that, that drum line in it in the middle of it. Oh man. That's such an iconic drum line. <laughs> yeah. If, if I were to, to walk into the cage, if I were ever have the proper training to, to fight in a cage i'd have to walk into something very loud obnoxious aggressive and violent along the lines of pantera but uh i could totally see myself walking in on in the other night too it i think it's like probably like a like a mind fuck for like your opponent too i walked out to uh killing in the name of one time um i walked out to dmx ain't no sunshine because <laughs> i was a huge anderson silva fan uh, and then I walked out to uh, Country Boy Can't Survive by Hank Williams Jr. because I'm redneck as hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, It's one thing I noticed I, I kind of try and listen to for all the years I've been following UFC is what songs people walk out to. And uh, there, there's been some pretty iconic things. When Aaron Lewis sung live for, who was that? Was that a, uh... crap, I forget who he did it, but he he sung live and then somebody else was live for the it was a main event fight god who was you remember that? uh shanae o'connor done uh conor mcgregor she done uh uh that was, the foggy do yeah that was a uh, that was pretty freaking epic yeah that's <clears throat> but uh, it's incredible so what aside from wrestling what's your your initial background in martial arts uh so when i was younger uh my parents put me in karate at like a super young age and like i fell in love with karate um but I'm from like a really small town, man. So like stuff like that didn't really take off. So I was doing karate, uh, like maybe three nights of the week. Uh, and then the place just shut down. Like it was no, like they didn't do anything wrong. They just, I was like one of four students there. Um, so I left there and I didn't do anything for a while until I started wrestling. And then I was like really looking forward to like, uh, like NCAA, like wrestling in college. And then I actually got hurt my senior year in the state uh, semifinals. I actually broke my arm. And, yeah, so I took time off. I coached uh, at the high school I graduated from for, like, two years. And it just felt like something was missing. Uh, So then I started training at a place. uh, They're called – I don't even know if they're still still around, but they're called Stryker uh, Martial Arts Academy. It's like Stryker uh, MAA. And I started training there. It's a pitch black MMA affiliate. It's like a Wonder Boy Thompson affiliate gym. Uh, and we had guys like Ryan Hall come through. Nice. Um, Jonathan Pierce. We had Stephen Thompson. I mean, we had a lot of really good names come in and out of the gym. Uh, 
but that's where I started training. And I was like the only amateur that trained. There was like me and like five pros. So it was like thrown in the lion's den <laughs> and they're teaching like karate kickboxing, which like I was like, I already had like a karate background, but I'm not gonna lie. My first year there, like I just took everybody down. Like, like I just Habib wrestle fucked everybody because I had no idea what I was doing. Typical wrestler. I know, right? What provide or prompted you to actually decide to actually take that jump and get into the cage? Was it just the environment that you were working in, and was it encouragement from people you were training with? No, honestly. So, uh, like, a, a multiple things in my life lined up perfect, right? So. I wrestled my whole life. When I was younger, my dad was really into UFC, and uh, he used to watch Strike Force too. Uh, and then we started watching WEC. And I remember watching Uriah Faber at like a young age, and my dad was like, "Hey, that's a little guy taking on like people that are much bigger than him, and he's winning." Like he, like you know, he was telling me like the importance of wrestling, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." So then, uh, my dad found out he had cancer. And this is after I graduated high school and I'm, I'm coaching at the, the high school I, I grew up in or I went, I went to, um, yeah, I'm coaching wrestling. My dad has, my dad had just found out he had cancer and like, I just like, I wanted to like be inspiring in some way. Like I wanted to like do something extraordinary. You know what I mean? Like I was just feeling like dangerous. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I had a buddy that was like a photographer for, um, the rough and rowdy fights in West Virginia and they had a champ in, they used to have a, a MMA division called ruckus in the cage and very seedy, very like bum fucked. Uh, but they had a 125 or, uh, he was like the champ and they, I guess like his fight had fell through and they needed someone like last minute. Well, my buddy was going to do the photography and he's like, yo, my buddy wrestled. And I was like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. Like, let's do it. Like I know how to wrestle. <laughs> and, uh, so, like, we drove to West Virginia. They put us up in, like, this casino. They give me a casino card. They're like, oh, thanks for coming in and, like, filling in. <laughs> then I got choked out in, like, the very first round. Choked unconscious. <laughs> uh, because I shot in for a takedown and just got choked the fuck out. 18. And after that, I was, like, hooked. I was, like, you know what? Actually, so it started as a guillotine. And then I got my head free. And he just, like, took my back and, like, pulled me into, like, the most perfect back take. Oh. And then rear naked choke. Yeah. Um but that was in Charleston, West Virginia, and it happened on a Friday. It happened the day before uh, Conor McGregor fought Nate Diaz, right? Okay. So I got rear naked choked on a Friday. Conor McGregor got choked out on a Saturday, <laughs> and I was like, I need jiu-jitsu in my life. <laughs> like, I was like, I never want that to happen again. I had no plans of fighting again, but I knew I'd never wanted that to happen again. Right. So I went I went to that striker, the striker place in town, and they were like, oh, do you watch UFC? And I was like, yeah, I watch a lot of fights. And they were like, you know Stephen Thompson? And at the time, Stephen had just knocked out Johnny Hendricks. Right. And I was like, yeah, like, fuck yeah. He knocked out Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks, like, a Jersey oh, boy. Well, yeah. They were like, oh, well, uh, uh, this is Stephen's affiliate gym. Like, we're an affiliate of Pitch Black. And I was like, oh, word. So they kind of, like, pulled me right into the karate kickboxing. They pulled me right onto the MMA team. Super cool guys, and I just never looked back after that. Like, it it just it kind of happened, like, so organically. And there was a kid that I was coaching, too. His dad was, like, a huge uh, MMA fan, and he had mentioned it one night. He was like, why don't you go train up there at that striker place? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. And then, like, the next weekend I'm fighting in a cage. <laughs> I, uh, I've i The closest I ventured into any type of actual competition like that was, uh, was a grappler's quest 
I'm not sure if you heard about that. Strictly grappling only. It was uh, they had a gi and a no gi division, and the second f- match that I had, I lost my first match. It was went a couple minutes and was holding my own for a little bit. I just got pointed out and relegated to the losers bracket, so to speak. And I actually won by a rear naked choke on a guy who was. I'm not sure how he was in my weight class. Maybe it's just because I'm that fat <laughs> or was that fat he was just a walking muscle little muscle guy and i managed to take his back and choke him out and not to the extent that you were choked out too but uh that's that's the extent that i've uh i've won and, and felt the joy of winning in, in any type of competition like that where uh where do you stand in jiu-jitsu or are you blue belt or brown belt or do you not really uh, so follow into I've- that I've done jujitsu long enough that I could be like a blue or a purple belt. Um, I've never done gi up until about two months ago. I always done no gi because I was so interested in fighting. Uh, like when I started MMA, like I literally walked into that gym. Uh, I just got choked out and I was like, I never want to get choked out again. And then the very first day I was there, they had me like doing kicks and like punching. And I, I fell in love with Muay Thai, like immediately, like, like fuck wrestling. I want to, I want to punch people. Um, <laughs> So, like, I done one day a gi there in, like, the year that I was there. It was all, like, MMA or no gi. Um, when I moved to Florida, I got into an MMA gym, um, and I was doing a 10th Planet gym, on like, on the side. So, like, I was going to two gyms at the same time. Um, the 10th Planet that I was at actually got shut down. They consolidated with another one. It was, like, way far away from my house. So, I was like, I'm not going to drive an hour. Um but the other gym, like I literally, I would, I would do like MMA classes, which is like just based around actual fighting or I would do nogi and wrestling classes. Cause we had wrestling and nogi, uh, like classes available as well. So I consistently skipped doing gi classes up until like two ish months ago. So I'm probably like the oldest white belt. Like <laughs> I've been a white belt for years now, but, uh, like I, I'm pretty proficient. Like I know what I'm doing. I've just never actually sat down, like done stripe tests. So it's a um, world of difference when you put on a gi, though. There, there's it really so is. much available. There's there's so many chokes and locks and and moves just because the clothing is there. And I actually, I, I think you might have liked the picture, but I, I posted one uh, earlier this week, and I was like, I actually like jujitsu, and I had the gi on. Like, I like it. It's it's different because I'm not used to it. Like, I've been used to like no gi where you're in like a rash guard or like you're like no shirt, yeah, uh, or in like a cage where. I would fight like I, I, I beat a purple belt. Uh, I beat two purple belts actually in the cage and like had grappling transitions against him and like won the, the grappling transitions. Like it's not, it's not that I don't know how to grapple. It's right. just, I've never, like, I just never was like really focused on it. And even now, like I coach mainly like Muay Thai karate kickboxing. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'll coach wrestling, but I don't deal with like a lot of jujitsu. So I've kind of fell in love with it lately um, so I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm like, yo, I want my blue belt. Like I want to start competing. I actually have a competition this Saturday. Um, and I feel like really good. I gained a little bit of weight for like the holidays, but I'm like, <laughs> fuck it. I'm not going to cut any weight. <laughs> I tried, I was trying to, to get into the competition end of it with just strictly grappling. And I ended up signing up for a fight and I showed up to the school somewhere in middle New Jersey. And there was a ring there. It was a, a you know, squared ring. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, well, this is supposed to be a grappling match. Why are we in a ring? 
and the promoter comes over to me and goes, um, so where's your gloves and, and, and your stuff? I'm like, what do you mean my gloves? What? He's like, this is, you know, the, the guy that you're supposed to be fighting is looking for a, a fight. I'm like, yeah, I'm not here for that. <laughs> I have not trained for that. Uh, he goes, well, he'll, he'll do a grappling only thing with you. And, uh, needless to say, I think he was a purple belt and he kind of wiped the mat with me pretty quickly. But, uh, it was a little kick in the jaw there going for one thing and finding out to be something completely different. But, uh, I, uh, I actually had a fight one time we drove up to, uh, Georgia and they had like quote unquote intermissions but the intermissions, like, they'd done grappling matches in between, which, like, I, I thought was, like, kind of weird at the time. But, like, hearing you say that, I guess it might be, like, a common thing. Yeah, I uh, think for some people, it's they're hesitant to, to get up, you know, square up and knuckle up with people. But they enjoy, you know, for, for us wrestlers, we, we enjoy the competition. So it makes sense to me. They use that as an intermission, but they can be long matches unless they just time out. Yeah, well, these, um, I think these have, like, a time limit on it, too. And I guess, I think, actually, one of them ended in a draw. So, like, there was no overtime rules or anything. Like, EBIs have, like, the, the overtime. Um, but, yeah, it was so weird. I, uh, I was, like, the co-main event uh, in Georgia. And they, like, the match before mine was a grappling match. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was just weird. It, it was anticlimactic almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's, I love I love grappling, but it was it was anticlimactic that night. <laughs> and there's there's kind of three different realms that you're that you've been talking about. There's there's a complete different world of jujitsu in a gi versus jujitsu and, and submission grappling in without a gi. And then you throw in a completely different dynamic when you're worrying about catching a punch Being to the punched face in the as face. well. <clears throat> and yeah. that that's where the I think the real art comes into it. And you, know, you see people like Anderson Silva or or the the Gracies or a lot of people who have the the grappling background, and also you look at most of the champions right now or recent champions, they all have a base in grappling. You know, started with oh, wrestling. Yeah, what, yeah uh, it's definitely. I mean, and I mean not just because I'm a wrestler, because truthfully, if you want to get really technical, like I'm a karate fighter before I'm a wrestler, because I like I literally like at a young age started karate, but. Uh, wrestling or, or any sort of grappling is like the perfect base for MMA. You know yeah. what I mean? You can, you can punch all day long, but if you can't defend a takedown, like you're not going to win a fight. <laughs> Whereas if you know how to grapple, you could at least, you have the, the possibility of catching a kick and, and maybe, you know, dragging it to the ground or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I started watching UFC back at UFC one and. Oh, hell yeah. The, this circus sideshow that, that that was for the first six or seven was uh it was just definitely a spectacle i wish i remembered that fella's name the sumo wrestler got his teeth knocked out that night oh, that's when wow. i knew i was like this is intense there there's certain things that you watch and it sticks with you and that's the one image where watching his tooth go flying out of his mouth <clears throat> that's definitely one of them that happened uh, to Glover Teixeira, to Anthony Rumble Johnson, uppercut Glover uh, on the uh, on the undercard to Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz too. I'm trying to think of the the card that that was at uh, two oh six maybe. They first fought at one ninety six. Maybe I don't know. They first fought at one ninety six. I think. Anyways, um, Glover and Rumble fought and. 
Anthony uh, Anthony Johnson uppercut Glover, and Glover's tooth went flying out. I'll never forget that. I was drunk, but that sobered me up for a minute. I was like, wow. <laughs> what uh, are you? You still competing in the ring, fighting wise, or you did you kind of hang up your gloves? Uh, I hung up my gloves when I found out I was going to be a father. Uh, my fighting style for anybody that's ever seen me fight, they'll tell you like I was like a mini Justin Gaethje, like. I had no regards for my own like safety whatsoever. I would just like walk in, throw leg kicks, throw hooks, uh, which I've got some like pretty cool knockouts in like fighting like that. But I also took a lot of shots to the head and I was like, you know what? I want to remember all these memories and like all these moments. Uh, so I hung my gloves up whenever I found out I was going to be a dad and I started venturing into the coaching side of things. And I fell in love with coaching Muay Thai and, and teaching um, like stand up mixed martial arts. Um, and now I just recently I've gotten the bug where I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to do a grappling tournament. So I signed up for a new breed, uh, um, grappling tournament this weekend. Um, I'm going to do no gi and gi just to, you know, just to say that I did it and, right. you know, kind of see where I'm at, which, you know, I like, I like my chances. Um, other than that, man, like I don't really, like fighting used to be like a really, um, I don't know how to like how to put it. Like a, you, like I used to, I didn't want to win. Like I just wanted to be like the baddest motherfucker in the room. Like, <laughs> and like people will tell you, like people would come out to see me fight, like if they knew I was fighting, because I was just like, like I would just throw caution to the wind, you know. And and people liked that. Um, it's it's so exciting it to, to watch a fighter who just kind of literally goes out there and just throws it all out there, and, and you know what happens happens. Yeah. 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 It was, it was violent, man. And, and, um, it was almost like an ego thing for me, like where I just wanted to be violent. Like I wanted people to want to watch me and stuff. And then, um, the last fight I had was very humbling because I fought a guy at one, I fought him at like 155, like way out of my weight class. Um, and he ended up submitting me. He was so fucking heavy, dude. I just couldn't do shit with him. Um, and then after that, I just, like, I started training like nonstop. Like I had like something to prove. And then next thing I know, like I'm about to be a dad, it was very humbling. Cause I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't need, like, I don't need wins to be me almost. If that right. makes sense. Like I, f- I felt like I needed wins or like I needed to compete to be me because I competed, like I've competed consistently since I was a child. Like right. he was like, I, I was like bred into it. Um, like I was like a fucking racehorse that like, you just don't race anymore. And I'm in the field. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, uh, but it was very humbling, like taking that, that aspect out of my life. And now like I fell in love with, with coaching and teaching self-defense and, and, um, hopefully passing on something to other students or, or my own like child children. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I I have that same feeling. I I got into coaching wrestling for a few reasons. One, I was fortunate enough to to go back to the school that I started wrestling in, and it happened to be that it was my oldest son's sixth grade year, so it would have been his first year wrestling. Um, so I kind of fell into it in a real weird way, and I I just absolutely love it. I love you know the sport in and of itself, uh, the, the qualities that it can teach people, the humbleness to it, the perseverance that you can get out of it. The, there's just so much that, that the sport can give people if they really focus into it. 
And then there's yeah, the, I, the whole coaching. I always element. tell people wrestling's my first love. Yeah. And my wife comments on that, that she, she says I'm a completely different person when I'm, especially when I'm coaching in the middle of the match. Um, you know, the, the, she just says there's just joy on my face and in my eyes that she doesn't see that often. <laughs> but uh, it's just that it, it puts me in a different place, and, and I absolutely love, love being an ambassador for the sport. And I was, when I was, quote, unquote, competing in those little grappling tournaments that I was doing, I was training a lot with a friend of mine who ended up opening up his own school. And his background is just insane with the different disciplines that he's studied in. And within the first year of him opening up his his school, I went from being able to hang with him most of the time to basically feeling like I had a gorilla spider on me and not being able to do a damn thing. And it was so infuriating. That's also like super humbling though sometimes because like like I'll roll with people like I'll roll with like blue belts, purple belts, brown belts. But then I like I'll roll with my coach, like a legit like from Brazil, like Gracie Jiu Jitsu black belt. And it's so humbling. And I it, like it almost makes me like hungry. I'm like, yo, I want to get on that level. Like that's the way I look at it. Like I've I'm still like a very competitive person. Um like I'm competitive in like different ways. Like I want to be the best at everything I do. But that's one of those things where like, I'm like, you know what? Like that's humbling where a guy can do minimal movements and like make you regret <laughs> ever waking up, like waking up that day and walking in the gym. You know what I mean? Like that's I want to be on that level. That's why I called jujitsu folding clothes with people in it. Cause Oh, I say that all the time. It's just the, the positions and the, the more elite, the grappler, the more insane the things they do are. I mean, I, I've seen people tra- make these transitions. And I'm one of the people who, when I watch UFC and I see if I go to the ground, the understanding of what's exactly going on between the two fighters and how they're the minim- most minimal movement can mean so much. And then you get the people in the crowd who probably never wrestled or competed or put their bodies on the line in any way, shape, or form, and they're all booing. It's like, just shut up and just let them let them do their thing. Those guys are drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what what got you into podcasting? Um, so I had some. Okay, so this is kind of like a really weird story. But when Bare Knuckle, uh, so when BKFC came out, the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship came out, um, I had just found out that I was going to be a dad and. Uh, at the time we were living in South Carolina and we were about to come back to Florida and I was like, you know what? Like, I kind of want to do this. And I had well enough fights like to go pro and cause that's, you know, you have to be a pro to, to fight bare knuckle. And I was like thinking about it. My wife was like, you know what? Like that's a brutal sport. Like we've been watching like a bunch of Ukrainian bare knuckle fights and like, you know, the underground shit. And she was like, that's really brutal. She was like, so make sure, like, if you sign up for something, like, they're going to pay really good. <laughs> um, and so luck would have it, like, I, I'd i followed somebody on Instagram who was Jason Knight's manager. And Jason was in need of a sparring partner for Artem Lobov, you know, Connor's teammate. And I hit him up, and, and I fit the description perfect. I was, like, five foot seven. 145 pounds southpaw. Like I just fit the description. Perfect. They asked me like, how many fights have you had? How long you've been training? Yada, yada, yada. 
So they were like, all right, uh, we'll come to Mississippi. Like we'll pay you for the weekend or whatever. And we can, you know, we can use you in camp. And so I was like, all right, cool. I figured doing a camp with a bare knuckle fighter would be better than just jumping right in like head first. Right. Um, so then I had some dental work done like the very next week I had dental work done and I contact him back and I sent him a picture of my mouth. I was like, Hey, I just had dental, like oral surgery. Like obviously I'm not going to be able to, I'm terribly sorry. I was like, but I'm really invested in this sport. I was like, if there, cause I, I truly do like, I love bare knuckle boxing. Uh, and I was like, if there's anything that I can do like whatsoever, like let me know. Like, um, and I had all this podcasting equipment because my brother and I started this really random podcast like years ago. And, uh, so I had all this podcasting equipment. I was like, if I can interview fighters or if I can do this, do that, like, let me know. And they were like, Hey, well, actually, uh, we have three fighters like that need interviews. Like you're more than welcome to like help out in that asset, uh, in that facet of things. So I was like, yeah, like, let's like, sure. So I interviewed, uh, Reggie Barnett, Jr. Abdel Velasquez and Travis Thompson, uh, which Reggie right now is the number one, um, contender at 135. He should be fighting Johnny Bedford next, but, uh, uh, Dat Wynn is fighting him uh, next. Well, I guess Dat would be like the number one contender technically. But anyway, so uh, Reggie Barnett Jr., Abdel Velasquez, who um, Abdel actually got knocked out by Dat for the number one contender spot now that I think about it. Um, and then Travis Thompson. Travis Thompson's a fucking OG MMA in uh, boxing. And so I interviewed the three of those people, and I turned those interviews in, and they they were like, cool, like that's, you know, they like, they turned out really good. And, uh, after that, like I, I became like kind of friendly with like these bare knuckle fighters that I'd interviewed and, and these people that I'd met. And, uh, I wanted to just podcast like bare knuckle. Uh, well at the time I had a buddy, um, that was like, Hey, like you should, like he'd listened. He was like, Hey, you should, you should do these more often. And I was like, well, fuck man, I can't get a bare knuckle fighter on here like every week. Like that's kind of, you know, kind of hard. And, uh, he was like, you know, you just do it with other people. Like just do like a Joe Rogan thing and just, you know, have fighters, have other people on. And I like, I just randomly, like one day I just put an ad out on Reddit. I was like, Hey, I have a podcast. If anybody wants to come on, like check it out and like, let me interview you. So those first episodes are really bad, like quality wise. But, um, I fell in love with like the conversation aspect of it and meeting someone completely random and hearing their story because I like having these really weird, uh, like introspective conversations, like deep conversations with people and learning like, like why or like how, or like, you know what I mean? Um, I just fell in love with that man. And then after that, I, I started getting a lot of listens and people started interacting with me like on social media. So I actually had to kind of like hide my, like my personal social medias um, because I didn't, you know, I have a daughter. I don't want people to like creep on my family and shit, but it like it done something. I was like, yo, like I'm getting a genuine feeling of satisfaction out of this that before I'd only got out of like, like competing or like I'd only got out of like certain things in life. And now I was getting this feeling of satisfaction from this. So I was like, you know what, let's put time and effort into this. Uh, so my brother started helping me edit episodes and, and trying to fix my shitty audio quality. And it just like kind of became a thing that like a bunch of people started listening to and a bunch of people started liking. And then um, I'd ask my brother, I was like, hey, can we like host a show together? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it on Tuesday. So then we started that. And I think when I done that, like with my brother, it just like re uh, like it revamped my love for it. 
like just these random conversations about anything in the world. Yeah. And I just like, I just love conversation, man. Like I loved, like when I first met you, like I think me and you talked before and after, like I recorded that episode and I told you, like, I was like, I want to do an election episode with somebody who's knowledgeable about politics. And like, we didn't even stick to politics, man. Like I just enjoyed having a, like a conversation with you so much. Like we talked about jujitsu and Anthony Bourdain and we talked about this and that. Um, so like, I just, I, I fell in love with that aspect, man. Just, um, like letting other people's voices be heard. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I've, I found like with this platform, like I have this really weird power where I can not influence somebody's decisions, but I can maybe change the way they think. Uh, so I've had a couple sex workers on because I'm not like a fucking, like, I'm not like a pervert or anything, but, um, well, the sex workers are, they're almost dehumanized in a way. And I just think that's absolutely disgusting. Like any, any person, any living person with a, with a breath, you know, like breath in their lungs and blood in their heart, like, like they deserve to be the same like thing as the, yeah, the same thing as anybody else. Yeah. Uh, so th- I had these ladies on who I was like watching their social media. Like I met them because I put an ad out like for sex workers to come on the podcast and I met them. I would talk to them. Like, I don't, I don't just meet people and just say, Hey, come on the podcast. Like I'll talk to you first and like feel you out and see if we're like a good match. Right. And I was like watching these ladies social media and it was just like toxic. And I was like, you know what? Like I want to be part of like this movement. So I got behind that. Um, like the, 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 like knocking down the stigma around sex work. And then I met Ian McCall who I'd followed for years. Uh, and Ian's really involved in psychedelics and, and, um, like the decriminalizing of psychedelics and the study of psychedelics and what they can do to the brain. And I got really on board with that. So now I've kind of became like a poor man's Joe Rogan in a way, but you know, I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had kind of some similar veins. I, I had a, a guest on who was the, at the time she was the director of communications for decriminalized sex work. And I agree. I mean, for the, the, the stigma, the double standard, the stupidity that goes along with that. Like you said, if they're, they're doing things that are consensual and live and let live, you know, no need to judge somebody and, and, you know, think of them as less than human because they do something that for the most part, from what I understand, they enjoy doing for whatever reason. Um, I, I will say, uh, I don't mean I cut you off, but I will say I'm an advocate for ending sex trafficking and, Unfortunately, sex workers are trafficked quite often, and that's um, because it's illegal. Because it, there's, there's it, yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, and and so you, in order to combat one problem, you have to like you have to combat the other almost. Right. So that's that was a big thing for me because I got really involved in ending sex trafficking, and and some of my friends we started a website and we started doing a lot of advocacy for it and trying to end it and. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to like cut you off there, but that's it falls right in line. Like you have to end one to end the other, and that's that was a big part of it for me as well. That's I think part of the problem is people have this myopic view, and they just see it solely as it's sex work and it's prostitution and it's bad. There, there's no good that can come of this because they have that puritanical myopic standpoint. But when you look at the, the picture larger and you actually engage and, and talk to people who are in the thick of it, you know, the, the sex workers themselves, if they were unionized, if it was decriminalized, they wouldn't be victimized as much. Um, it would just open up the door to a lot more safer 
engagements. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I kind of got into, kind of started my podcast for the similar reason. I just think, enjoy talking to people and, you know, finding people with a specific expertise that I want to know a little more about and, and engaging with them. And, you know, same thing with you. I, I reach out to people, I talk to them, get an idea of what they're like, make sure that I can have a conversation with them and, and then carry on from there. I, uh, I will add like all the sex workers I know are like super, like they super love their job. Like they're doing exactly what they love. Uh, and I'm not going to like say her name, but I, I'm really good friends with one. And, uh, I sent her a message over the holidays. Like, Hey, how's your, how's your day going? And I don't mean to like be super graphic on your podcast, but she was like, no, I just had a threesome. My day's going fantastic. And I was like, Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. You're getting paid to do what you love. Like that's the, that's the American dream right there. <laughs> Oh, what they say? If you uh, if you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, hey, they're they're as long as they're, it's consensual and they're adults, it's you know, like I said before, live and let live. Absolutely. So I think we're we're pushing around that time frame. So now is the time where I'm going to ask you a handful of completely absurd, random, ridiculous questions. Is this like a speed round? Am I supposed to like no, answer super quick? Not not necessarily a speed round. Just kind of heads up there's a number of questions that are just completely ridiculous oh no i'm really excited for this <laughs> so the first one name your alter ego uh jerry goldstein the traveling jewish magician <laughs> i i've used this quite often in my younger years at bars and whatnot there's a handful of people in phoenix that only know me as jerry <laughs> that's fucking epic I used to have a star David necklace that I would wear too. Cause my, my family, my mom's side is actually Jewish and I used to wear that star David necklace and yeah, it really sold it. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Your, uh, next question. <laughs> Your officer church or wherever is having a potluck dinner. What dish do you bring? Ooh, baked mac and cheese because uh, I'm finding that a lot of people don't do it correctly you know, it's like really dry or like really it's really bad so I would prefer that I get to do the mac and cheese so here's the follow up how do you make your mac and cheese because I have a, a recipe that I got from my mother-in-law that is absolutely top fucking notch let me ask you this is yours is yours kind of like runny like cheesy yeah yeah okay that's see people and I've noticed like as I get older and I go to like these things because I feel like when I was younger, I could get like, I could get out of it. Like I'd be like, no, nah, I've got shit to do. But now I kind of have to, especially when you're a dad, you have to take your kid around like your family. Uh, so people like people do it too dry, man. So you dude, I use milk in mine. Three ingredients of like, mine, milk, cheese, and macaroni. Absolutely. <laughs> but it has to be Absolutely. Right. All right. Next question. What wild animal scares you? And I think I know the answer to this one. Oh yeah, I mean you were talking about it earlier today, man. I don't, I don't mind snakes. Like I really don't. But that one I seen today was fucking huge. Other than that, it's spiders, man. <laughs> I'm terrified. I have arachnophobia so bad. I was literally driving one time down the interstate. It was me, my cousin, and my aunt. And my aunt had a spider in the car, dude. I literally rolled down the window, and was like sticking my head. I'm in the back seat trying to get away from this spider, dude. It scared me so bad. My cousin had to turn around and kill it for me. <laughs> I was like, I was gonna climb out of the car on the interstate or something, dude. I was terrified. <laughs> I have no problem with either of those. <clears throat> I was like four. I was like 14, and I was like, I cannot do this. 
now I'm, I've gotten a lot better now that I'm like a dad and like a husband. Like I have to kill the spiders, which really sucks. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't kill them. I, I scoop them up and get them outside. They kill see, mosquitoes. If it's like a, if it's a banana spider, like I'm perfectly cool leaving that, even though they look menacing. Like I know for real, like they're not really going to hurt me. <laughs> Anything else though? Nah, dude, it is on. I got bit actually. I don't mean to like sidetrack you. I got bit on the arm, uh, in the college wrestling room, um, showers or whatever. Bit on the inside of the bicep by a brown recluse, and I lost Oof. part of my muscle. Oof. Yeah. So that, that uh, after that, yeah. So off of that, we're gonna go with which would you rather live in a windmill or a lighthouse? Oh, I would love to live in a windmill. I don't think I would rather live in the lighthouse. Not sure. Lighthouses to me are like really nautical and like they're like, I mean, of course, like they remind you of the ocean and I'm not a big water guy. Fair enough. I'm all about that, you know, fully sustained energy too. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, let's see. Would you rather be blindsided at work or in love? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Blindsided at work or with love? Oh, of course, love, man. Love makes the world go round. I like that answer. I think I'd rather get blindsided at work. You can more easily navigate whatever issue comes up with that. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> see, I wasn't thinking about problems, man. I was thinking about falling head over heels. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> work, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, would you rather brew your own beer or your own moonshine? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to out myself, but I'm trying to make my own mezcal right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to say moonshine, based uh, going stereotypical from where you're from. But my cousin has a moonshine still, and uh, it smells like radiator fluid. Some. <laughs> I'm trying to do everything legit. I made my own wine one time that was really good. That's a process, though. That's a long... Well, I mean, both of... It's all a long process, but... I had to buy, like, an aerator and everything, man. Like, I got into it. <laughs> I want to... I've been tempted to figure out if I can brew my own bourbon, but that's a long, weird project. I feel like with stuff like that, though, like, no matter how it comes out, like, you're always going to love it, no matter what, because you put so much time and effort into it. Unless it's just, like absolutely god awful and then you're just mad at yourself but if it's at least drinkable oh yeah since you've had a, a couple of great answers with strange answers what's the uh, weirdest or funniest place you've fallen asleep at um i fell asleep in a car one time and i had no idea where i was going because so uh, I fell asleep Black Friday shopping one time, actually, in the parking lot of a Cabela's. Complete, I woke up, it was like 11 a.m., dude. Like, I missed all the sales. <laughs> but my cousins picked me up. They were like, yo, let's go Black Friday shopping. I was like, all right, bet. I fell asleep in the car. They didn't wake me up when we got there. And, yeah, I slept all the way through Black Friday. Outside of that, man, I don't know. I fell asleep on a park bench at uh, Disney World one time. <laughs> I think I can top that. I, I fell asleep on the peak of the roof. Oh, shit, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you really want me to tell that, I fell asleep in a cage one time. In uh, it's a fighting cage? Oh, yeah. Well, you were knocked out, so I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does that count? I'm not sure that counts. I was talking more in your own free will. <laughs> no, not with somebody strangling will, yeah. you. 
No, I, I, I got really hot when we went to Disney and I just sat down on the bench and then luckily like I have a beard and you know, tattoos are like, I kind of got snatched up, but yeah, I just <laughs> kind of dipped off on the, on the bench there. And the last question, what set of items could you buy that would make the cashier most uncomfortable? All right. Duct tape, rope, acetone, um, Mm. <laughs> mm. Let's do a for sale sign. <laughs> Let's do uh petroleum jelly. Let's do uh ooh, let's just just to be extra, let's throw in some some like shaving razors and some shaving cream. Um Oh, and a bathrobe. <laughs> oh, and a candle. Now that I think about it, yeah, let's do a candle too. Oh, and a Barry White CD, just to top it all off. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was kind of tracking where that was going, and then it just went off to the deep end. <laughs> but uh, well, I had you for we're pushing on somewhere between forty-five minutes an hour. So, uh, where can people listen to your podcast? What podcasts are they, and where can they find you? Uh, once again, man, thank you for having me. This was this was a lot of fun, bro. I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys want to find me, I'm on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. It's it's called the Takedown Podcast. Uh, our profile picture is like a little spacey. It's it's like the logo, and then it has like a like a little sky behind it and shit. Um, and then the weekly forecast. That's the podcast I do with my brother. It's super funny. We answer fan calls and and go over like random news articles around the world and. It's kind of like our attempt at being news anchors, but uh, we're not good at it at all. <laughs> uh, they're both on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at the Takedown Podcast, exactly how it's spelled. And then at the Weekly Forecast, uh, exactly how that's spelled. And thank you again, my brother. No, thanks uh, Thanks for coming on. It was, it was definitely fun. I will make sure that I put those links up on the uh, with the show notes. And uh, yeah, man. Good chatting. Thank you, brother. Have a good night. You as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.